Welcome to Frontline Medic Podcast. Susanne Axelsson here, and I am your host for this podcast, brought to you by Frontline Magic in partnership with Ask Nicely. Ask Nicely is your number one frontline success platform with everything your frontline teams need to delight every customer every time. If you want to get the latest insights from the Frontline Magic community, make sure to sign up for our latest newsletter at frontlinemagic.org. In this episode, we are talking to Doug Kub, founder of Circle Alliance, with a strong passion for helping creating strong company culture with a people-forward approach to leadership. Before starting his own business, Doug worked for Starbucks with business development for more than 30 years. So tag along as we uncover the secret for what it truly takes to make every customer experience awesome. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really honored to be included in the podcast. Um, so thanks again. My name is Doug Kube, and I'm the founder of Circle Alliances. And Circle Alliances is a contracting and consulting company based in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we do strategic planning, business development, and business optimization for emerging food and beverage brands and concepts. Amazing. And you're working with some really cool food brands. I know Salt and Straw for example, and some other big names out there. I'm really honored to have the clients that I have and the brands and the products that um, I work with. And every day I just um, count my blessings. Amazing. So let's jump into it. If you will think about a real customer experience that you had quite recently, or it could be an employment experience that you had in your life that really made you proud. Do you have a real life example from the front line? This is really recent. I was running to catch up two weeks ago in New York um, at LaGuardia Airport to Boston. And I was with a client. We were just going up to Boston for the day and then back to New York for some more meetings. And we had been running late from our previous appointment. It ran over. And then we, we called a, a Lyft driver and we had a really horrible experience. The Lyft driver didn't want to take us to the airport because one of the suitcases was too big. Oh, no. And the suitcase was a machine that we were demoing for a new technology. So we couldn't leave it behind. Um, <laughs> and so we had to call another Lyft and that Lyft driver came and um, took us to LaGuardia. But regardless, we were way behind schedule. And so we thought for sure we were going to miss our flight. And we were flying on an airline that we don't both fly on. So we had no status and it was a different conversation than if we were a regular customer on that airline. And so we, we thought for sure we were going to not make the window for checking a bag. Um, and it was going to screw up our entire day in Boston with our appointments. And we walked up to the counter at the airline and fully expecting for the customer service ticketing agent to say, sorry, you missed your window. And her name was Wendy. And without even thinking twice about it, she said, oh, no problem, I'll get you. And she's, here's what I need. I need your identification. I need these two or three things from you and we'll get you on your, on your way and have a great day in Boston. And it was just such a nice way to be received, welcomed by the airline and kind of a just say yes approach to, yeah, I'll get you to your destination in an environment, in an industry where it's not easy these days for a long list of reasons, she could have chosen 
to play by the book and said, nope, you missed the window cut off. We'll try and get you on a later flight if that's possible. But she didn't, she just said, yes. We checked the bag, got to our gate and went had a great day of meetings in Boston. I was really, it was really a great experience and I've thought about it a lot the last couple of weeks. I, I wish more companies and brands were um, that accommodating. Oh, that's a great example. Shout out to, was her name Wendy? Her name was Wendy and she, um, can I, I'll say it's Delta Airlines. So, um, Wendy, <laughs> Shout Wendy out to Wendy Delta. at Delta Airlines. <laughs> Delta Airlines, LaGuardia, thank you. <laughs> Amazing. What do you think it takes to build that culture where your frontline team feel like they have the mandate and the flexibility to do those kind of things? That's a great question. I would say the first thing is empowerment. We all want to be able to make decisions that we think are the best for the role, the job, the customer, the company, the business, the brand. And I think in that example, Wendy was empowered to make the decision. And she made the decision to let us go through and catch our flight. And so I think empowerment for frontline workers is really a key. You want people to feel like they have an ownership in the business. Maybe they're not a, a technical owner of the company or the business, but if you can have them treat themselves like they are and give them the respect and the ability to make on-the-spot decisions, they'll generally make the right decision for a win-win for the customer and for the company. Yeah. Yeah, that's so right. The empowerment is so important when it comes to frontline staff because they, in the end of the day, they are the ones who are actually delivering on that really unique customer experience. Absolutely. It's huge. Another thing that I think about in this space is letting people bring their whole selves to a job. Letting people express their authenticity and their genuineness in their job. I was at a resort uh, a week ago in Washington State called Sun Mountain Lodge, which is one of my favorite resorts. And I've gotten to know the team there for years because I, I worked with them years ago when I was with Starbucks. And then my friends who have a winery work with them. And so anyway, we were there for a winemaker's dinner and we were, <clears throat> we were sitting with the team, the general manager and the leadership team. And at the end of the meal, this wonderful meal, uh, we got into a conversation with him about the service industry and what, what this next generation is looking for in terms of happiness in jobs, working in a fine dining. And it was, it was at the end of the meal, he brought the check and we were just getting ready to leave. And it ended up being like a 10 minute conversation with him, which he brought his entire self to. He was authentic and genuine and he was respectful and it was a very professional conversation. And I, I turned to the general manager, I said, his name was John. And John's a great employee. Like John's somebody you want on your team because he was authentic in who he was and he wasn't afraid to give his opinion and he wasn't doing it in a defensive way or an offensive way. It was just, he was just giving his opinion, which added a lot of value to this really great conversation we were having at dinner. Yeah. And what was your key takeaway from that conversation? There's a lot of pressure on people in the service industry right now. And being in food and beverage and hospitality for, for 30 years, I have a great appreciation for frontline workers. And we've all just gone through COVID and two and a half years of being in our COVID caves. And now we're coming out of our COVID caves and we're having experiences again in restaurants and airports and hotels and 
all these places that maybe we haven't been to as often in the last couple of years. I think that COVID changed everything in service, in hospitality, and lots of people have made this career decisions that they changed their, their path. And so there's not maybe the availability of workers like there was a couple of years ago. And so a lot of the frontline workers are having to work a lot harder and under more difficult circumstances. And I think something that's really important as a customer is to be able to and not to judge and to just listen to what people's needs are. And I think that was something that I learned from that experience. We just listened to John to give some perspectives on what he thinks the restaurant industry needs to be in the future. And it celebrated why he's still in it, why he's decided to stay the course in the restaurant industry and not go to another industry. And it was just listening. And I think listening is a key to unlocking a lot of things in life. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, it's hard skill. It's a hard skill to learn, to really truly listen. But if you can do it authentically, I think it, it gives so much back. Let's talk a bit uh, about your time at Starbucks, because I know you were there for a very long time. <laughs> uh, I'm curious to find out what great customer service looked like for them during your time there. And, or if there's anything like key takeaways to have foster within how you talk with businesses today when you help them on their customer experience journey. Yeah. Um, so I was at Starbucks for 23 years. I started when there was under 100 stores in the company. It left seven years ago when there's 20,000 stores. Yeah. Um, so I had a really nice long run at Starbucks in the U.S. and in Europe and really proud of helping to build that brand and that business. And I think the key thing I learned about Starbucks is the value on and the, the focus on people. And what Howard Schultz and the other leaders did at Starbucks while I was there was really make sure that everyone who worked for the company realized that they were a partner in the growth. They call their employees partners for, and from the very early days from, I started in 1990 and from the very early days of the company, that was a huge focus. And, and that <clears throat> focus on the partner um, and the partner experience was woven into every aspect of the company. And I think if other brands did that, they would be able to have some of the same success that Starbucks has had. And it hasn't been easy. And even today, as we sit here in 2022, there's a lot of things going on with Starbucks that people are probably reading about in the news. But for a company that has, the last time I checked, over 30,000 stores in probably 75 or 80 countries with over 300,000 partners working for them, they've done a really amazing job at scaling the culture and weaving that people-forward approach into their business. And it really gets back to what I talked about with Wendy at Delta Airlines or John at Sun Mountain Lodge. Empowerment, ownership, respect, dignity, really valuing what people on the front lines are doing. And I think Starbucks did that in a really authentic, unique way 50 years ago. Starbucks is 50 years old this year, actually. Oh, wow, yeah. To translate that into other cultures around the world and to other businesses and other channels with acquisitions and with other with lots of places, airports, hotels, college campuses is a really amazing feat. And so I'm really proud of um, that I was a part of that Starbucks journey. Um, and I'm really proud to have worked for a company that puts their people first. And what do you think? I know there's, there's a lot of debate about frontline workers today. They are stressed out. They overwork, they are taking on more responsibilities, they're underappreciated, and sometimes they don't even get 
you know, feedback and actually acknowledgement for the work they do. If you will give one kind of piece of advice or something um, that will transform the mindset of leaders that they can really value the, the work that the frontline workers do, what would that be? I would say, give your people a seat at the table. Give your frontline employees and team members an opportunity to give perspectives and insights, opinions on the strategic direction of the company. I remember back in the early days of Starbucks, Orrin Smith, who was one of the most senior leaders of the company um, when I was there, um, decided to have lunch, like mid-level manager lunches, where you had an hour with Orrin around a table and there was probably 15 people in the room. And I got invited to be, I think, on the first of, of these lunches. And he shut the door and we're all having, you know, lunch together. And he talked about the ground rules and the ground, the first ground rule was that it was a completely safe environment behind a closed door. And we could all give our perspectives on anything that we wanted to and be as bold and candid as we felt we needed to be. And that's always really resonated with me because it gave me an opportunity to have, give an opinion to one of the most senior leaders of the company. And it, he was obviously listening. He was obviously doing this for a reason because he wanted the input. He wanted the feedback. He wanted to know at his level, it was, it's sometimes hard to know what's going on in the day-to-day -day of the company on the front lines. And he wanted the frontline managers to give perspectives and to be advocates for the baristas and the salespeople and all the people in the corporate office as to what they needed to make the company more successful. And so having a seat at the table has always been something that I've advocated for. And you don't want your senior leadership team of a company in a silo thinking they know what's going on at the front lines, but really having no clue on what's going on at the front lines. And what better way to inspire your highest performing employees than to give one or some an opportunity to sit at the table and be part of that decision, giving their perspectives. To me, having a seat at the table is something that's really important. Yeah, and that comes back to what we talked earlier on as well about listening and actually you know, opening up the floor, but then also uh, listening to the people that comes into the, the conversation. Absolutely. So today you help food and beverage businesses with their business strategy and really help them on a strategic level. Uh, what are the key pillars for every service business that you think they should include when it comes to building up that customer experience strategy? I do a lot of work um, writing strategic plans for brands and for businesses. And I walk people through a process. The, the first thing that we generally do is go through some exercises where we talk about the purpose of the company and the core values of the company. And we generally spend quite a bit of time on this because it's really the foundational things to building a company. And you really need to, when you're building that house, pour the foundation, put up the walls, then put up the roof in that order. And so generally, I love going through the process because if it's a founder or co-founders or senior leaders on a team, they're often, they often haven't had this type of level of discussion amongst themselves. Maybe they have a great idea for a product, or maybe they've had some success organically with building out a business. But at this point, they're taking the opportunity to really go deep on why they're doing this. 
you know, why they're in business and what the values are associated with the, the enterprise. And so I think it's different things to everyone. And so if you ask me like, what's the most important thing, I think you better, you'd better have something in your DNA and your foundations of your company that's about your people. If it's just all about your financial performance, then that's not a recipe for success. Certainly there needs to be a financial um, performance element and KPIs built in. But again, back to this conversation that we're having, it starts with the people on the front lines. And just like Starbucks made a decision, like I mentioned, to call them partners, not employees, and to have a seat at the table like we've talked, I think every business, every brand should develop a culture in the spirit of their company that is a people-forward approach internally um, to their organization. And then depending on the product, you, you never want to leave the customer or the consumer out of this process in developing a purpose and core values. And so I think really understanding kind of what the consumer is looking for in whatever the product or the pro program or the experience is and building in some ways to make sure to always stay close to that customer. I think those are really important too. People, your team, your customer, and then all the things that any business, the KPIs associated with financial performance, those are all important things. But I do think it starts with your internal teams and your people. When we're talking about KPIs and ways of measuring, focusing on your people could be really like, it's a very soft kind of measurement as a business. What's your tips there on building it into your daily habit or how do you measure that kind of success within the business? The best companies and the most successful businesses and brands create rituals for their people. And we're all so busy all the time and it's so time flies by. A day flies by. Sometimes I feel like I snap my fingers and eight yeah. hours just went by or a week or a month or a quarter or a year. And so building in rituals that are not unlike a family that has a ritual, hopefully to sit down with one another as, as quick as your day goes by, hopefully you and your family sit down and, and have a meal together. That's a tradition. That's a ritual. And it enables conversation amongst the family and talk about their day and talk about their children's homework or their sporting activity or whatever. And I think companies need to build in those same types of rituals. And there's really creative and fun ways you can celebrate the corporate culture and the company culture with those rituals. Starbucks always did an amazing job with coffee tastings, right? And so whether yeah, right. I worked in offices all over the world for Starbucks and I worked in the, the corporate office, I think there was like 5,000 people in the corporate office when I left. But it's a ritual of a coffee tasting. And so regardless if you're just a few people in a conference room or if you're Howard Schultz in front of the whole company in an open forum, you start off every conversation with a coffee tasting. And it's the core of what we are, it's coffee. And so I think every company, if they took an opportunity to, to build in those rituals, would find that their people would be much more engaged and it would give an opportunity for them to give perspectives and have a dialogue with them about where the company is going. Um, and I think in terms of development, learning and development, and these days retention is really important for lots of companies. They don't want to be turning over a lot of employees. And so there's ways you can build in rituals. If you don't do that, then time just goes by and people often feel like you don't care as a leader about them and, and what they're trying to do for the company. If you could describe the single most important attribution of a great frontline employee, what would that be? That's, a, that's an excellent question. If I had to choose one, 
I would say service. You can call it customer service. You can call it customer focus. The frontline people are there to <clears throat> take care of the customer. And just like in that situation with Wendy at Delta Airlines at LaGuardia, like she took care of me because she knew I had to be in Boston for a meeting with my client and she made that happen. That's amazing service. And I think the frontline people never forgetting that the customer is right. And in Starbucks in the early days, we had a program called Just Say Yeah. And short of opening up the cash register and giving them all the money, <laughs> you, you were just supposed to say yes. If they didn't like the taste of their drink, okay, no problem. I'll make you a new one. I'm so sorry. Let me give you a coupon. Your next one's on us. Or whatever the request was, just say. Because in the big picture, we wanted that customer leaving that Starbucks store really happy and content and telling all their friends and neighbors and people at work to go to Starbucks. Yeah. And so I think just saying yes and service, I think the best customer service experiences that I have as a consumer are when frontline workers have that attitude and that approach. Yeah. And from a leadership perspective, what is one key thing they, that you should focus on to build that, I guess, independency within your frontline workers? Yeah, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about empowerment. People don't want to be told what to do. They want to be asked what they should do. How does that saying go that Steve Jobs at Apple used to say? Um, we don't hire the smartest people in the world to tell them what to do. We hire the smartest people in the world to tell us what to do. Exactly, yeah. I think that's what any manager, any leader should do is ask the people on the front lines what they think. They're the ones doing all the work. Exactly. And they are the ones serving the customers. They are the ones who know exactly what the customer feel, their pain points, and how that can be addressed in the business and just doing better, doing a better job. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. it gets back to some of the things we talked about listening. You know, listen to what they have to say. Give them rituals and forums to be able to give their opinions and perspectives. Employee surveys are really important. All these things are rituals and tools to hopefully give them the empowerment to be able to make the right decisions on the front line. When someone in the front line is doing a great job, we really want to show appreciation and, and recognition as well. And normally the people in the front line, they have the, some of the toughest job within the business. They get to hear everything. They get to hear the customer complaints, they get to deal with the angry customers. But when they're doing something really good, when you want to recognize them for the amazing work, they do you have some example from businesses doing this in a bit of a like, a creative way or like a new way of uh, thinking about recognition. Yeah, I do. I, I fly a lot on Alaska Airlines. I live on the West Coast. And so I travel up and down the coast a lot and even in, into the East Coast. And so I'm a regular passenger on Alaska Airlines flights. And I've been flying Alaska for many years. In the last few years that I've had my business, I fly them a lot. And they have, I think it's called Alaska List. And they put in vehicles, their app and on their website, and they talk about it on their in-flight materials about we're listening to you and how can we make the experience better and how can you acknowledge our flight attendants and our pilot customer service reps and our ticketing reps? How can we acknowledge, how can you acknowledge and recognize them for great service? Or conversely, if you had a, a negative experience that didn't meet your expectations, how can you give feedback on that too? And so one of my favorite companies is Alaska Airlines that really takes the time to build in foundational tools to help their customers and their employees give feedback. 
Amazing. So you have worked with some amazing brands, like we mentioned before, Salt and Straw, Dr. Brew Kombucha, and of course, Starbucks. What are some of the key takeaways from all of those businesses that you think the leaders can learn from today to make their customer experience better? Because all those brands that I just mentioned, they're doing this really well. Yeah, that's a great question. I'll, I'll use the two examples, the two clients of mine that you mentioned, Salt and Straw and Brew Dr. Kombucha. Um, both are based up in Portland, Oregon. I mean, I've had a great opportunity to work with the founders and the teams there. You know, Salt and Straw um, is an amazing example of two founders following their dreams, Kim and Tyler Malik, and opening up an ice cream cart a few years ago in Portland. And now they have 27 scoop shops across the country, and they're building a lot more scoop shops. Um, I just talked to them last week, and they've got some tr tremendous growth ahead. And I think if I look at Salt and Straw, there's so many things about that brand and that business that have made them successful. But I think the one that I think the most of is how they've used really high quality ice cream as an opportunity to tell stories and as an opportunity to create experiences in their ice cream shops. And the whole foundation of each of the ice creams that they develop are stories that they create with business partners and local artisans for really unique expressions. And sometimes it's always about the ice cream and it's always delicious ice cream. But on top of that, there's an intriguing, interesting, compelling story where they also give a stage to artisans and other entrepreneurs that in collaboration that they make the ice cream, they give a stage to, to those people and those companies and those businesses, which they don't have to. And that differentiates them from any other ice cream shop that's just serving chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry ice cream. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that's something that I think Salt and Straw has done is storytelling and collaboration. And then they've also done just an amazing job of experience. It can be a rainy night in Portland on Northwest 23rd Avenue, and the line's wrapped around the corner at Salt and Straw um, because they've created this amazing experience and destination to go taste the ice cream for free. You can sit there and taste all the flavors in the ice cream shop if you wanted before you decide what you're having on your cone or what you're having in your, your scuba ice cream. And that's a, that experiential part of their brand is really has been really successful. And then for Brew Dr. Kombucha, I've had a chance to, to work with the team there too, the founder and the CEO and the leadership team. And they're one of the top kombucha companies in the country by sales volume and they've grown incredibly quickly. And one of the things that I think that they've done just extremely well is take a category that lots of people don't understand. What is kombucha? Is it tea? Like, what is, yeah. what, what's probiotics? Is that good for me? What, why should I drink that? And they've helped, they've helped bring that to the masses in a very approachable way. If you look at their brand on their website or on their social media, it's fun, it's engaging, it's modern, it's bright. And so they've done a really great job of that in a category that, again, not many people understand. It's relatively new. And then the other thing I think they've just done extremely well is focus on something that's in food and beverage, one of the most important things you can do. And they call it taste win. And taste should always win. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to a restaurant or you're going to someplace to eat or drink, hopefully it tastes good and <laughs> it should always win. People aren't going to buy things that don't taste good. Um, and I think that's really the way that they positioned that, like the honesty and the candor and the way they've built that into the fabric of their culture. And if you go onto their website or their social media, they talk about that because they know that in with their competitors, 
Some of those kombuchas, it's not all about the taste. They lead with the health and wellness benefits, but some of them don't really taste that great. They taste too vinegary or they don't have a natural taste to it. And I think the authenticity of them saying, looking inward and saying, it's all about taste is really important. And then you combine that with the other things that Brew Dr. Kombucha has done, which include their B Corp certified. So they're really focused on the earth and sustainability and all the things that really matter from a purpose-driven brand. So those would be the two examples I would share from Salt and Straw and Brew Dr. Kombucha, which are two of my favorite brands up in Portland. And that's, yeah, I just love those two examples because what you just described is that you build your brand and and your offerings around the experience. So it's all about the experience that you're giving the customer. And that's, yeah, that's just the foundation of everything, isn't it? For the service industry. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. I only have one question that I ask everyone, and that is, do you have a quote that you live by? I do. Or a saying or something, yeah. I do. Um, I've spent my career the last 30 years collecting, and I've had an opportunity to run around the U.S. and Europe and places I've lived in my career, um, and I've met a lot of great people, great human beings. And now, six years into Circle Alliances, I'm working with a lot of those people, those business contacts that I worked with at Starbucks for many years. I'm working with them now for my own company. And so I've always approached my career and my business like I'm just out collecting a lot of great friends and hopefully I get to work with them. And that really motivates me because it's all about the people, it's all about the relationships for me. And that truly is the foundation of my success. The strategy work, all the things that I do for my clients is obviously really important, but it all starts with a personal relationship. And so I think my advice to people would be like, just approach business and things in life, like you're collecting friendships and then it doesn't feel like a job. Then it feels like you're just collecting great people and they're bettering you and you're bettering yourself because of who they are. Amazing. That's yeah, that's such a good way to see on it. And I think one thing that I really taking away from this conversation is that we're all people build on the relationship with the people and invest in the relationship with the people and then build on experience because we're all here to have a great experience. Yeah, and I think that sums up, that uh, kind of mindset sums up everything that we've just been talking about. So thank you so much. You said that very well. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm honored to be included. And thank you so very much for letting me um, share my professional journey and some stories today. Thank you for listening to another episode of Frontline Magic Podcast with your host, Susanne Axelsson. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at susan at frontlinemedic.org with any feedback or thoughts that you would like to share on this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Ask Nicely. Ask Nicely is your number one frontline success platform with everything your frontline teams need to delight every customer every time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star rating. Frontline Magic provides you with the tools, insights, and inspirational stories you need to deliver an awesome customer experience. Sign up for free and learn more at frontlinemagic.org. And thanks for making Frontline work awesome.